Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Good evening, citizens. How are we doing tonight? All right. Yeah. Well, it's great to be with you all on our... Um, Pajama night, if you're wondering why I'm dressed like a, uh, this is like top tier dress wear for high schoolers today um, in your day and age. Um, But that's why I'm wearing baggy clothes and stuff like that. Um, My name's Will. I say this every first Wednesday. It seems like I preach on first Wednesday every time. If you are new or if we have not met, please come say hi to me. Like, I love to meet new people. I really do mean that. I want to hear your story and get to know you. So um, yeah, it's great to be with you guys. Hey, go ahead and throw up your hand if Ben Roots already has his hand up, Superman, okay? Hey, go ahead and throw up your hand if when you were younger you watched TV shows at your grandmother's house. Oh, yep, yep, yep. It's kind of like a classic, classic combination, right? Grandma's house and TV. I don't know about some of y'all, but my parents, um, they didn't love me. No, I'm just kidding. My parents loved me very much. But my parents actually did not allow television in my home, if we can believe that. They did not allow television. But when I would go over to my grandmother's house, we would always watch television. And one show that would be recurring on the television would be this show that we would always watch called Shark Tank. Shark Tank. Now, the the, the aim of Shark Tank is that you have these four multi-million, billion-dollar investors, and they sit in these chairs, and what happens is this person comes and walks through this extremely long hallway that's, like, weirdly long. They walk all the way up this hallway, and they present a sales pitch. They present a sales pitch. And, and the idea of this show is that these small businesses, these humble folk, as, it, as you could call them, they come and promote uh, their, their, their thing they want to sell, right? So it might have been like one like the Scrub Daddy, right? We have one of those in our kitchen sink. Um, maybe it was the Squatty Potty. These are real. These are real from Shark Tank. I know it. It sounds fake. Uh, But whether it's socks or cupcakes, one thing that you'll notice about these shows that come up to these investors is that their businesses started from nothing, right? They started from ground zero. This is what we would call a humble beginning. Um, Drake the rapper who I suggest that any of you stop listening to if you currently are, infamously said, started from the bottom, now we hear, right? Some of you have heard of a man named Elon Musk. Elon Musk, when he was starting his business, he was living out of his um, business spot that he would rent his business office, and he would actually shower um, in, in gyms at the YMCA. That's how much Elon Musk started from the bottom, but now when we think about Elon Musk, we think of the crazy billionaire, right? 
And so as my sermon is titled Humble Beginnings, um, what we're gonna be doing tonight is looking at Matthew 2, and we're gonna be seeing the humblest beginning of all time. Jesus Christ, who had everything in heaven, took a lowly approach, coming down to earth, being born of a woman, and we'll see that despite this humble beginning that Jesus takes, he rules and he's in control of everything. So turn with me to Matthew chapter two. That'll be our text tonight, Matthew two. It says this, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went over them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Students, the first thing that we see in our passage tonight is that this child is in charge. This child is in charge. And you go, what? A kid? In charge? Yeah, well, let's look at verse one again. So, so after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So we're, we're, again, we're diving into Matthew. We were there last week, but I think for tonight it might be helpful to go over who some of these characters are. So we have a couple, right? Um, We have, first of all, the child. That's Jesus Christ. He was miraculously born from his mother Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit. If we remember, Courtney preached on that last week. Uh, Jesus' name actually means he who will save his people from their sins. And and this is going to continue as we see God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. But but we'll get there. Um, Then we have Herod. And for your sake, when you think of Herod, I want you to think of a bad dude. 
Herod is an evil king. Um, the Roman Empire, who's above Jerusalem at this time, is using Herod as kind of like a puppet king um, to rule his people, but really he's a bad dude. So we're thinking Scar from Lion King, uh, Jafar from Aladdin, or uh, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast. I never really liked that movie though. But he's a bad dude, okay? Herod is an evil king. And then we have this other peculiar character group called the wise men. Um, you might have heard of them as the magi. Um, these men were from, we're told, an eastern country, um, and they had heard about the coming of a Jewish Messiah, someone who would save the people, and they're seeking this savior out. So they're coming from the east to seek this savior out. Um, they come, and, and what our text says is that they, they follow a star as they do this. Um, we don't know what this star was like, um, if this star was a planet in the sky that they knew, if this was a meteor, if this was altogether some different type of a star. Um, but we're told that this star rose, and, and the wise men recognize that as a sign from God, and they go to worship the king. So, so here we have these guys coming into coming into town and they're going, hey, uh, where, where's the, uh, the one who's king of the Jews, right? We saw the star. And as you can imagine, um, Herod, who is the king, here's this guy coming into town talking about, who's this guy who's been prophesied for a long time to like overthrow your kingdom and take over you? And Herod's not going to be too happy about that. And so, uh, what this means um, is that the wise men want to worship him. This is why they're coming. And, and I don't want us to forget who's in charge here. Okay, God's in charge. Even though the wise men recognize this and go on a journey, ultimately it's the Lord who's in charge, who's giving them a sign. Look at verse three with me as our story goes on. It says, when Herod the king heard this, right, this news from the wise men, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So Herod now is also seeking the Christ, right? So the wise men are seeking where they can find him. And now Herod's going, eh, I'm wanting in on this too, right? It's, it says that Herod is troubled by this news and that he's inquiring. So this word means uh, to seek out information, right? Herod wants to know a little bit more. Um, but what he says is that he, he wants to know where the Christ was to be born. Um, this word Christ means the chosen one, the anointed one. You see, uh, we're diving into this book in the New Testament, but the whole back half that, that was before it, um, the Old Testament, is thousands of years, guys, of prophets, um, of kings, of rulers that have been waiting for this Messiah, this Savior to come. We're looking back on a story to see people searching for the coming of the Christ, of the Savior. But I'm here to tell you tonight, in 2023, looking back on this story, I can confidently tell you guys that the Christ for us has already come. 
He already came, and this is an account of that. We're going to continue to see what kind of a savior, what kind of a Christ this will be. But I'll tell you right now that this savior is not the one that the people were looking for, but he's the savior that they needed. Sin in our hearts is far more dangerous than any kingdom or ruler could be. The Bible says, fear the one who can kill both the body and the soul in hell. And ever since Genesis 3, where we turned away from God, we are sinners. Romans says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Guys, but this child, this isn't just any child. This isn't a random story that I'm here to tell you tonight. This is Jesus Christ who came to save us from our sins. And there's freedom when we believe this message. This is good news to us. Um, some of you have younger siblings. In fact, probably a lot of you have younger siblings. And something that would happen in my household growing up, maybe you have older siblings, this happens too, but something that would happen in my household that would really frustrate me growing up was when my mom would ask like a general question to the family. Maybe it was, what should we eat for dinner? Or should we leave the store or keep staying? Or where should we go for vacation? And Man, my younger brother, Justice, when he would speak up and my mom was like all in on that plan, I'm like, what are we doing? Why are we letting this little kid call the shots, right? Especially when we're younger. It's like, why are we going to let the kid throw a tantrum and call the shots? Um, think about the irony of what we're seeing in our passage today, right? This child is threatening a king, is threatening Herod, a ruler, right? Think about that for a minute. Who's the real king in this story? Is it Herod? <laughs> no way, right? The real king is Jesus. We see that even as a child, Jesus is in control, and Jesus is accomplishing what the Lord has set out to do for his people. So, Herod gets his boys together, right? Herod gets the wise men together. And, he, and he's going, where is this ruler going to be, right? And he gets his answer, but uh, what he finds out threaten him all the more. Herod's going to see that this child is going to be the ruler of the people. Look at verse 5. So the wise men answer Herod's question. They say, and the rulers and they say to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. This is written from Micah. It says, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So we just got out of Micah here. We did a series for seven or eight weeks. Um, and that's where this quote is from. So the thing that I think when I read this is how much God is in control, okay? Micah, this book that we just studied, is written 700 years before this story that we're reading today. 700 years. That's how accurate God is, guys. That's how much God is in control. This is crazy. I don't know how many of you uh, use like Instagram or different forms of media, but there's kind of this craze going on with people my age. Um, and 
man, I'm bringing out all these bad illustrations today, like things that you shouldn't do, talking about Drake and all sorts of stuff. But there's this thing that people are doing called sports betting, where essentially they, they bet on games. So how this works is you have your, your TV, the game that you want to bet on. You have like an app on your phone. And then you'll pick like the most random stuff. So like, is Kevin Durant going to score more than 25 or less than 25? And stuff like that. And if you want to hear my honest opinion about sports betting, uh, you're going to lose a lot of money doing that. And why is that? Well, it's incredibly hard to predict the future, right? Even something as simple as a same-day sports game, making a general assumption on how many points someone's going to score, it's hard enough, right? That's why people lose a ton of money gambling and betting. But let's think about the odds now for predicting the baby birth in a random town in the Middle East 700 years in advance. And to the student in the room who's going, I don't know about this whole God thing. I'm not sure. I'm not sold. Or maybe you're hearing this for the first time, wondering if God is real, if he's even there. I want that fact to stick out to you that this was a prediction, a prophecy is what we call that, from 700 years in advance. There's no way that someone could be that accurate unless this Bible really is God's word, if we are reading God's word. And so Micah, through his prophecy, says that Jesus is going to be a ruler. But what kind of a ruler is he going to be? Right? We've already taken a look at Herod, who, who oppresses his people, who has an iron fist on their neck, so to speak. And we've seen the bad side of rulers. But what kind of a ruler is Jesus going to be? Uh, well, look at verse 6, uh, halfway down. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Jesus is going to be a shepherd, now, this is imagery for one who herds sheep. Guys, in this world, with everything coming at you, especially at the age that you're at, we need a guide. Uh, we need someone to go before us, to show us the way. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor, and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So I want to ask you tonight, personally, where do you need to submit to Jesus and receive his care? Where do you need the, uh, the shepherdhood of Jesus, so to speak? Maybe you're insecure. You look around at other people. Uh, you look at the things they wear the friends they have, and you see the way that they talk about you. And in your inner being, you're going, man, I'm not good enough. I never will be. Maybe you live a life ruled by, by discontentment. You have it all, it feels like, but inside, you know that you're missing something. So you, you work harder in school, you work harder in sports, you work harder at your job, but it's never enough. You can't ever fill that cup the way that you want to. 
Maybe you live a life in pride. I know this one is incredibly difficult for me every day. But you look around at others and you see them as less than yourself. You're the main character in your mind, right? This whole operation that we're doing here on this planet, it all revolves around you, right? Guys, I want to say this uh, to the hearts that might be feeling those things or, or other things. Find your rest, find your identity, find your contentment and your humility in Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Guys, he, he will walk with you. He will guide your paths that your foot will not slip. Look to Jesus, okay? Seek him out in his word. Seek him out in prayer and give him all of your burdens and your fears. This is how Jesus rules. Not like this world. He doesn't rule out of fear, out of shame and depravity, but he, he rules in loving correction and he calls us all to repentance. And he invites sinners and saints to find rest in him. And so as we continue in our story, Herod is told where the child is. But look what happens next in verse 7. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. Right? This child that I'm speaking of, Jesus, is worthy of worship, but not in the way that Herod's trying to go about it, right? When Herod gets his answer here um, as to where this child is, he tries to, to make a sneaky play, right? He kind of tries to slither around. Some of you here with your, with your crush right now, you're like scheming, like, man, can I find this person after youth group and go and talk to them? I know this life, don't worry. I was in youth group once. But uh, jokes aside, what Herod does here in verses seven and eight that I just read, uh, here's some alliteration for you. Herod frolics frantically, right? Herod's all over the place. He's like, what's going on? I need to get a plan nailed, right? But Herod is the one in charge, right? Herod's the king, right? then why is Herod so threatened by Jesus, right? Herod's scheming here. He's crafting a plan. He says, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I might too come and worship. Uh, he's kind of saying this like with a sword behind his back, right? Like, let me know where the kid is, right? He's got a loaded gun. He's got a bullet in the chamber. Um, my buddies and I growing up, we love to watch Star Wars um, especially at this youth group age. You had more time back in those good old days. And there was this one movie and this one character named Saw Gerrera. And he says this, lies, deceptions. That's what I thought about when I hear Herod say this, right? Remember, Herod is an evil, no good king. And Herod's going, that I, I'm gonna come and worship him. But that's not his intent. He wants to kill this child. He wants to stomp out this person who might overthrow him. However, what Herod doesn't realize is that Herod himself one day will worship the king, 
right? Luda read that scripture from Philippians that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Herod's included in every knee. You see the irony here? Herod himself one day will be judged by Jesus to the glory of God the Father. Look, look at verse nine now. It says this, after listening to the king, the wise men, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. So the star rests over where the child is, and it says that the wise men rejoice. So the wise men set out. They're following that star that we talked about, and it went before them until they got to where Jesus was. And, and when the star rests and they know that they've come to the house, they rejoice greatly. The wise men recognize something in their joyful reaction here. Yeah, they recognize in their head that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the one to come to save the people. But the wise men also do something. They respond. They respond with joy. They're overwhelmed. Guys, Jesus brings great joy. Jesus brings great joy. And I'll say this to you tonight. We in our lives will have the most joy when we choose not to worship ourselves, not other things, not the culture, not what people want us to worship, we will have the most joy when we are most content in Jesus, when we submit to the rule and the reign that Jesus has set forth, we will have abundant joy. I can tell you this has been personally true in my life, but even more so, the word of God says that this is true, right? The wise men have great joy and they rejoice because they've found the one who will save them from their sins, right? They understood who this child was and what this meant for them. The response this brings is joy. Uh, but as they approach the child, the story continues. Jesus receives worship. Jesus receives gifts and Jesus receives adoration. Look at verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. I kind of picture this scene of like Mary and Joseph and probably Joseph and Jesus um, sitting inside and like these three random guys with gifts and like camels walk in. I think that'd probably be pretty strange. But uh, this is actually a really beautiful scene, right? Uh, what we're told is that these wise men hit the deck, right? They fall down and worship Jesus. That's all they can do. That's all they can think to do. Their response is uh, of pure adoration, of thankfulness, of, of, of joy. They fall down and they worship the child. You guys are gonna hear this from our culture and you guys are gonna hear this from, from other religions. But um, 
they're going to tell you and they're going to try and say this, that, well, no, the Bible's not credible and Jesus um, didn't rose from the grave and actually he wasn't conceived by a miraculous birth. Uh, false religions, like the Jehovah's Witness, um, they would go as far as to say we shouldn't worship Jesus, that you should only worship God. I was reading an article from the Jehovah's Witness this, this week, and as they were uh, botchering scripture and, and Greek words, um, they got eventually to Matthew 2.11, where we are tonight, and it was like, and the wise men worshiped Jesus, and then it was kind of crickets on the article. They didn't know what to say, right? Because uh, um, worship is to ascribe something divinity. And certainly in this context, this is what the wise men are doing. Uh, this is because Jesus is God in the flesh. Deuteronomy 6.13 in passing, it says, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. That's what Jesus quotes to Satan when Satan says, worship me. So the Bible says that you should only worship Jesus and this is exactly what the wise men do. The wise men worshiping Jesus is a proof of his divinity and who Christ is, being the Messiah, being the Savior, the one who has come to set us free of our sins. Students, if, if this is true, what I just said, if Jesus truly is divine, if he is truly God in the flesh, born of a virgin Mary, then how should we respond? Well, what we should do is respond according to the scriptures with great joy, right? With worship, with adoration. Jesus doesn't just want uh, the, the little closets of your life, right? He doesn't want you to pick and choose like a deck of cards like, okay, I'll give you that one. I'm gonna keep this one. I'll give you that one. I'll keep this one. No, Jesus wants it all, guys. He wants you to lay it all down and worship him. Okay, this means, yes, um, um, he wants your, your life at school. And um, when you're playing sports, when you're playing video games, right? Jesus, as the wise men saw, was the savior. And there's no salvation in anyone or anything else. We as Christians need to offer our lives to this Jesus, the entirety of ourselves, of who we are, and submit to his rule. Uh, what the wise men realize and what the text teaches us is that it isn't Herod who's king, right? They don't listen to Herod here, but it's Jesus who is king. Jesus is king. If you hear one idea tonight, Jesus is king. I was talking uh, with a mentor about this idea of Jesus being king this week, and he said something that got me thinking. He said, I don't really know where we get this notion uh, of, of making Jesus king. Where do we get this idea that we need to make Jesus the king of our life or the king of our heart? And the, realize, the realization that I had, guys, is that Jesus is king. He is on the throne, seated at the right hand of God, whether or not you want to submit to him. And he rules and he reigns over all. So let's submit to his kingship and his reign and rule, knowing that there's freedom and joy in his family. 
Our passage concludes here, verse 12. This is to the wise men, it says, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So the wise men are warned in a dream not to return back to Herod. So they go back to their country. Herod's plan here is foiled, right? The wise men don't report back to him. God is working to bring about his kingdom through Jesus, through this child. God is in control and this child will be king. If you oppose the Lord in his way, he will bring you to ruin. But if we live in the life and the kingdom of Jesus, we will have life forevermore. Jesus says that whoever believes in him has eternal life and salvation. I'm gonna invite the band up as I close us in prayer tonight. Lord, more than anything, um, as Christians, as followers of Christ, um, God, we are so incredibly thankful and joyful. And so, Lord, to, to echo Paul in Romans 12, I, I pray for these students, would they present their bodies and their lives, God, as a living sacrifice, which is their spiritual worship, holy and acceptable to you. Lord, we live in an age and where we have an enemy and we have a, a, a culture, a spirit of the age that wants to do nothing but throw these kids off track to make them think that they aren't loved and they never will be. But Lord, what your gospel says, what, what, what your word says is that this child is a savior. So Lord, I pray at work in the heart of the student who goes, I, can't, I just can't believe this. At work in the heart of the student who's been hurt before. Work in the heart of the student who um, is struggling to walk this walk, God. Bring about your power in the lives of these kids. So Jesus, thank you for saving us, God, for loving us, and for all you continue to do for us. And it's in the name of Christ we pray, amen.